Well, 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 welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show. We have some breaking news. It is happening right now as we begin the show. I need to set the stage for you. Nina Totenberg, the hyperpartisan progressive Supreme Court reporter for NPR, came out yesterday with a story that uh, the Chief Justice of the United States of America, John Roberts, told all the members of the Supreme Court to wear masks because of Sonia Sotomayor and her diabetes. She's in poor health. And Justice Gorsuch, who sits next to her, refused to wear a mask. And Sonia Sotomayor wanted him to wear a mask, and he refused to wear a mask because he is a jerk. Now, she didn't add that last part, but it was strongly implied in her report. NPR circulated Nina Totenberg's story. Fox News came out last night and said, no, our sources at the Supreme Court say this isn't true. My own sources at the Supreme Court, and I will tell you, I have really good sources at the Supreme Court, also said this is not true. I told you that yesterday on the radio. There's a statement, it has been released, a joint statement from Justices Sotomayor and Gorsuch. And I quote, reporting that Justice Sotomayor asked Justice Gorsuch to wear a mask surprised us. It is false. While we may sometimes disagree about the law, we are warm colleagues and friends. Uh Aha. You know what the response is? This is a statement. This is a statement, a rare joint statement from two justices of the Supreme Court denying the report. And you know what the response is from progressives right now on Twitter? Well, actually, Nina Totenberg suggested it was Chief Justice Roberts who said to wear the mask, not Sonia Sotomayor. So the report may still be true. I'm sorry, but when you have two justices of the Supreme Court come out and say this story is false, and you're still believing the story, you're no better than those you don't like who you accuse of spreading disinformation. Now, question, will Twitter suspend Nina Totenberg and NPR for disinformation? Because if it was a Republican, if it was a conservative, you know damn well they would. Will they do this to people on the left? Nina Totenberg is a well-known, well-documented, partisan progressive. Of course she was going to believe this story from her sources at the Supreme Court. And her sources have caused her public humiliation, which she deserves. Will Twitter ban them now for disinformation? I wouldn't hold my breath on that. I really wouldn't. Uh, But they should because the story is false. Now, I wasn't going to start with that story. I was going to start with something else. I, I, I've i done some thinking. And you know, for me to think, well, let's just say I am part Swedish. <laughs> the phone number, by the way, if you want to call in, 877-973-7425. Happy to take your phone calls today, but... I think I have figured it out. In fact, I'm pretty sure at this point I am right. I'm pretty sure at this point I have the answer to a question that is, well, being asked all over Washington, D.C. 
Democrats in Washington, they are going to force a vote to scuttle the filibuster. Mark Kelly, senator from Arizona, you can tell he knows he's toast in November already, even though there's not a candidate against him because he's decided to come out and support scrapping the filibuster. He would not do that if he thought he had a chance in November. But he is, and the Democrats are, and it's going to fail. Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema have come out. They said, nope, no way. We are not going to support this. And Chuck Schumer's going to do it anyway. They're going to do it. They're going to make a show of it. And it's not going to be the Republicans who are at fault here. It's going to be the Democrats, two Democrats. And, and they're going to try to scrap the filibuster. They're going to do it. They're going to, going to push forward and have all the Democrats on record getting rid of the filibuster, some of whom it will be used against them. In Georgia, Raphael Warnock, a senator up for re-election, he's polling well below 50% already in Georgia. He says you're anti-American and a racist if you don't support doing this. He was on The View. He actually said, you're anti-American. It's racism. If you don't support this, you're a racist. He's joining Joe Biden in this, and you're anti-American. Joe Biden has two separate tweets he's put up. Let me read you the first tweet. This is from January 13th. 21st century Jim Crow is about voter suppression and subversion. It's about who gets to vote, who counts your vote, and whether your vote is counted. The Senate must pass the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act and the Freedom to Vote Act. And then, just yesterday, tweeted this. Jim Crow 2.0 is about two insidious things, voter suppression and election subversion. It's about making it harder to vote, who gets to count the vote, and whether your vote counts at all. We have to pass the Freedom to Vote Act and John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act. The Democrats, well, first of all, Joe Biden, two weeks in a row, says they have to do this because it's about whether your vote counts at all. Two weeks in a row, Joe Biden has suggested that your vote might not count if the Democrats' election engineering agenda is not passed and the filibuster is not scrapped. Last week, the Democrats deployed the filibuster to stop Ted Cruz. The racist filibuster was used to stop the Cuban guy. Why are they doing this? They know they're going to lose. They're not dealing with inflation. They're not dealing with the supply chain. They're not dealing with COVID. They're not dealing with crime. They're not dealing with education. They're dealing with an issue they know is going to fail at the hands of Democrats, not Republicans. Why would you do this for a third week? Why would you spend all of your energy and for the president to come out two weeks in a row and say, this has to pass because otherwise your vote might not count? I know why the Democrats have spent three weeks on this. Knowing it's going to die. They need it to die. The Democrats need their voting rights measures killed. They need their electoral reform measures killed. Because the momentum at this point shows there's no stopping the destruction that's coming. More Americans now identify as Republican than Democrat, which is the first time this has happened in decades. 
Not since 1994 have we seen a massive shift towards the GOP in partisan affiliation. The Democrats have a 50-50 Senate, a five-vote majority in the House, and they lost seats at the state level in 2020. And yet they seized upon that and said, oh, we have a mandate for progressive radical reform. And they tried to fundamentally transform America with no votes to do it. They couldn't get it passed. They couldn't get Build Back Better passed. They can't get the filibuster passed. They can't get it passed. And so they're going to get wiped out in November. So they have to push the Freedom to Vote Act and the John Lewis Voting Rights Act. They have to push them. They have to get them killed. So come November, they and their friends at MSNBC and other reporters can say, well, they didn't really lose. The Republicans stole the election. They didn't really lose. The Republicans suppressed the vote. They didn't really lose. The Republicans could never be countered because the Republicans and Joe Manchin and Kristen Cinema blocked those pieces of legislation. And so whether your vote counts mattered and your vote didn't count. Again, to quote Joe Biden, Jim Crow 2.0 is about voter suppression and election subversion. And because we didn't get these things passed, we tried. We did our damnedest to pass them, and they didn't get passed. They can say in November, well, we didn't get rejected. The Republicans stole it. Our agenda didn't get rejected. The Republicans stole it. That's why they're doing this. That's why they're doing this. The Democrats know darn well they can't get any of this stuff passed. They know it. It's obvious at this point. They don't have the votes on their own side to get it done. It's going to go down 48 votes to 52 votes in the Senate. It's 52 to 48 loss for the Democrats on these issues over the filibuster. And then they'll be able to say, we tried, but it didn't work. So the election's been stolen. There's nothing we can do now. The election's stolen. And you know, Here's the darndest thing. That's going to suppress their voters even further. That's going to suppress their votes. That's going to make people give up. And they kind of know that. But that's okay. See, here's the thing. They've got to be able in November to come up with an excuse that protects their progressive base from feeling rejected because it's all the feels now. It's all the feels. So they've got to come up with some way to say that this is the end. They've got to come up with some way to say we tried and we failed. I want to go back. I want to go back to January 3rd. Clint Watts is an MSNBC commentator. And this is what he had to say on MSNBC on January 3rd. I, I think it's the central issue, and I don't think it's just national, it's local. I, I, for me, I would expect the next coup will not be national, it will be local, and it won't happen in 2024, but it'll happen in 2022. I think part of the reason you don't see the gravity really around this issue for, for the public across the country is because it's very hard to keep your eyes on or understand because it's happening in local jurisdictions and municipality. It's one or two people 
that, that are election officials in different states or cities that are being targeted. So it doesn't bubble up to the surface and really draw that national attention, at least not yet. But what should we expect uh, moving forward with, with these laws that are being passed at state legislatures and at, at Congress, you know, in Capitol Hill? What you're seeing is a movement to essentially suppress people from their ability to vote. They, we are dis, we're seeing a broad disenfranchisement uh, of the U.S. electorate. And when that happens, then you will have something happen. It could happen as early as this fall where someone legitimately wins an election is not installed in office see 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 they've already started talking about this This is from january 3rd if we don't pass these bills you could have coups at the local level it could undermine us all here's eric swalwell chris i'm worried that if republicans uh win in the midterm elections uh, that voting as we know it in this country will be gone they're already putting as many barriers to the ballot box as possible in arizona florida texas Georgia. And on the other side of the finish line, they're putting in place processes where they could reverse the outcome, even if we crawl through glass and run through the fire to get to the ballot box. And so uh, if they are able to win the House, uh, the damage they could do, uh, you know, to permanently uh, make it difficult to vote and, and just alter the way that we participate in a democratic process uh, could be irreversible. It, it could be irreversible. That was from January 4th. You see, they're already headed down this road. They're already doing it. Here's Joy Behar on The View. I mean, uh, you know, I remember in Watergate, it took, a, it took a long time before they actually nailed all these people. It doesn't happen that fast. The wheels of justice grind slowly. I, I, I'm not losing hope yet, but I will worry in November if the uh, Republicans take over the House and the Senate. That will be the end of the beginning of the end for this country. Uh-huh. You, you see that? Now here's Kamala Harris. We must not be deceived into thinking a law that makes it more difficult for students to vote is normal. We must not be deceived into thinking a law that makes it illegal to help a voter with a disability vote by mail is normal. There is nothing normal about a law that makes it illegal to pass out water or food to people standing in long voting lines. And I have met with voters in Georgia. I have heard your outrage about the anti-voter law here and how many voters will likely be kept from voting. And Georgia is not alone. Across our nation, anti-voter laws could make it more difficult for as many as 55 million Americans to vote. Anti-voter laws. See, they're already setting the stage. They know what's coming. They know what's coming. The defeat is coming. Joe Biden is now the most unpopular president in modern American history, according to the polling averages. In all of the polling averages from 538 to Real Clear Politics now, he is a double-digit negative territory. They know what they're doing is going to fail, and they need it to fail now. They have to do it now and have it fail so in November they can say with a straight face, the voters did not reject us. The voters had their vote stolen by Republicans. I want to cut corners and just get to the chase. A lot of you hear podcast ads and radio ads for Bull and Branch, and you're thinking, eh, they're just telling you it because they're getting paid. I'm actually telling you it because I'm a customer. 
We actually have Bowling Brand sheets, and yes, they are an ad. Yes, this is an ad, but yes, I really am a customer. I only like to do ads for companies that I really like, and I love Bowling Branch. So does my wife. My wife actually heard the ads, and she wanted to try the sheets, and now they are the sheets in our house. Bowling Branch does not cut corners. They make super soft, wonderful sheets. They use the softest organic cotton they can find. They get better with every wash. They soften and soften and soften, and they only use 100% sustainable raw materials. They're the first fair trade certified manufacturer of linen. You can feel as good about your Bowling Branch sheets as they feel against your skin. They are so soft. They don't get too hot. They don't get too cold. They're just great. And every wash improves them. That, I'm telling you, is one of the coolest things about these sheets. It's like sleeping on a new bed every time you wash the sheets. It's great. Now, you can experience the best sheets you've ever felt at BowlinBranch.com. Get 15% off your first set of sheets when you use the promo code ERIC at checkout. That's BowlinBranch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, Branch.com, promo code ERIC, E-R-I-C-K. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. This hour of the program brought to you by First Liberty Building and Loan, wherever you are nationwide. If you're a small business, they can help you. If you're in charge of the finances for a small business, reach out, firstlibertyga.com. They're in Noonan, Georgia, but that doesn't matter. Anywhere in the nation, they can help you. Uh, if you need a big loan, five or six figures and up, we're talking 500000 and above. That's what they specialize in. Reach out to them. They make their own lending decisions. FirstLibertyGA.com. All right. I want to go to Dale. Uh, Dale, you're going to be up next. Welcome. I'm glad you called on this topic because I was going to talk about it, and now you're making me talk about it. Well, I'm glad I could help. Yep. Can you hear me? I can hear you. So uh, let, let's have okay. at it. Okay. So here's uh, there's been a lot to do about the, uh, the driver shortage, you know, the CDL driver shortage. Right. Well, there's a little wrinkle to it that I don't know if you you know about. I haven't heard anybody in the media talk about it. Um, at this point, any Jim, Bob, or Mary can go down, get the CDL manual, learn the material, pass the test, borrow their cousin's truck, and go get their CDL for basically mm-hmm. the cost of testing and, and that kind of stuff. Okay. As of right. beginning of February... The FMCSA, which is the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration, is changing the rules to you have to go through a certified school in order to even qualify to take the CDL exam at the state level. Mm-hmm. Translation is now it's going to cost you two to five thousand dollars. Yep. To get your CDL doesn't seem to make sense to me. If we got a shortage, no, it doesn't. You know, and by the way, harder. It- so to add to that, I don't know if you saw that today they came out and said they want to allow 18 to 21-year-olds to start getting their CDL yep. and drive uh, because they need more drivers. Yep. But concurrent to all of this, in addition to making it harder and more expensive to get, you've got the situation now in California where if your truck is is an older model, you're not allowed into the state with the truck. And a lot of the supply yep. chain problem isn't that we don't have enough truckers. It's that we don't have enough truckers who can drive into California and get the stuff at the ports and bring it back out. Yeah, uh, yeah. They are making so it, it like it's, it's, difficult. Yeah, that's going to make the problem worse. Uh, and I yeah. know this because I am a CDL holder. I'm a safety coordinator and a CDL instructor at a local concrete company. And we it's, were turning out our own drivers. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, 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 and yeah, you got good drivers who work for you. And look, I got to let you go there because I got about 15 seconds here. But Dale, listen, thank you for that. I'm, I'm glad you called in about it because folks need to understand it. it's all kabuki theater, what they're doing. They're telling you they want to fix the problem in Washington. They're actually making it worse. And guys like Dale who are training up his own drivers, having a loyal pool of drivers, now it's going to be more difficult and, and drive up their costs as well. This is how you ruin business, not save business. It really is remarkable. There are progressives on Twitter who are standing by the Nina Totenberg NPR report that Gorsuch refused to wear his mask uh, after being told by Chief Justice Roberts he needed to uh, for Sonia Sotomayor's benefit. I'm going to read you again their statement, which is, uh, you you tell me. here. So the actual reporting from Nina Totenberg is that the Chief Justice told everybody to wear masks. Sonia Sotomayor wanted everybody to wear masks because she's got diabetes. Gorsuch and Sotomayor sit right next to each other, and he refused to wear a mask. That's their reporting because he's a big jerk, you know. This is an actual very rare statement from justices of the Supreme Court reporting that Justice Sotomayor asked Justice Gorsuch to wear a mask surprised us. It is false. While we may sometimes disagree about the law, we are warm colleagues and friends. So the progressive response is, well, the report didn't say Sotomayor asked him, says John Roberts asked him and he refused because he's a jerk, except there's the we are warm colleagues and friends line in the statement. Uh, It's all the people who are concerned about disinformation and, and lies, lies. They sure are doubling down on believing a fake report from NPR News because it scratches a particular itch of theirs. Now, let's go back to the phones. Bob, you're going to be up next on the program. Welcome. Welcome. I appreciate it, Eric. I had a question concerning when you were talking about the Democrats for next fall. I think they're betting on something they're going to regret. If we have a major or massive, or largest turnout that for voting, and they lose in across the board, they're going to look really foolish, maybe stupid. Yeah, look, so here's the thing. I really genuinely, truly believe at this point what's going to happen is there will be a depressed Democratic turnout. Because when they lose this issue, and it's because of Democrats that they lose this issue, They're going to alienate a lot of their base. And so they are going to have a demoralized base heading into November. It is going to be a depressed base. And what they'll say is, actually, our voters showed up. You just don't see their votes because the Republicans suppressed them. It's about who counts the votes. They didn't count their votes. So the Republicans are going to be able to suppress the Democratic voters, but but without affecting their own. Oh, of course. You know, they're they're super smart. Yeah, I listen, Bob. They, they got to come up with an excuse, uh, and we got to keep this in perspective. This and thank you very much for the phone call. If, if anybody wants to call in, 877-973-7425. This is politics one hundred and one in the United States of America, and you must understand this to understand what's going to happen in November. The Democrats, having failed to pass their voting reforms, will say when November comes and they lose that their voters were suppressed and their votes did not count. 
when reporters say, but your voters stayed home, they didn't even show up at the polls, the Democrats will say, no, no, no. Some of them stayed home because they knew their votes were going to be stolen, just like those Republicans did in the January runoffs for the Senate. The Democrats said, why bother? Our votes aren't going to count because the Republicans are going to steal them. And some of them showed up and their votes didn't count. What you have to understand is this is a methodical thing Democrats do. Voters never reject Democrats. It's always that the race is stolen from them. Because if Democrats ever conceded the voters rejected them, they would be rejecting liberalism and progressivism. And the Democrats have gone so far left, they can never concede that their voters lost them the election with their far-left agenda. The voters never, ever reject progressivism in the Democrats' narrative. It's always that the election was stolen by Republicans. When Republicans win, it's that the election was stolen. When Democrats win, even if it's by one vote, it means they have a mandate to fundamentally transform the country. That's how it works in American politics these days. Understand that. You will understand what's going to come. You'll understand what's going to happen. Now, we got to move on to other stuff. There's some polling out there. Um, and uh, you have to bear with me here because I'm going to move through several topics that I wanted to talk about. There are different topics, but in particular, I, I need to talk to you about this one. A, a new poll is out. Let me, this is from Daily Caller. Uh, Chrissy Clark had this on Twitter. This is for National School Choice Week. A poll has come out. 52% of parents considered or are considering new schools for their children in the past year. The poll released Monday asked parents with children ages 5 to 18 if at any point this past year they considered finding a new or different school for any of their children in their household. 18% of parents said they chose a new school for their kids. 20% say they looked into school choice options and decided against a switch. 14% said they're currently considering it. 47% of parents said they wish they had more time to consider school options. It's of 2,715 Americans with a margin of error plus or minus 2%. Black and Hispanic parents are actively looking for new school options at higher percentages than white counterparts, according to the study. Support for school choice is higher among black and Hispanic parents than white parents. 73% of black parents, 72% of Hispanic parents, and 69% of white parents support school choice, according to the poll. I want to tell you something, and it's a very painful thing to have to say, but I've come to believe it's true. A Democratic strategist, who you would all know, one time told me that he believes school choice is the ultimate losing issue for Republicans because white people in well-to-do private schools do not want poor black people coming to their schools. That's why. That's what this Democratic strategist told me. It is white people in state legislatures who are the chief impediment to school choice in this country. I want to talk specifically about Georgia here because it's the one I know best, but it translates to states across the country. In the Georgia legislature, it is white Republicans who are the chief impediment 
to school choice in Georgia. Interestingly enough, uh, Vernon Jones, who is the man running for the Republican nomination, he's always voted in the legislature. He was a Democrat, then he became a Republican to run. Uh, He always voted against school choice, and now suddenly he's out championing school choice, just like he uh, voted against the fetal heartbeat legislation in the legislature and now champions uh, the pro-life cause. Opportunist. You look up the word opportunist in the dictionary, Vernon Jones's pictures there. David Perdue, who's also running at uh, Donald Trump's behest to challenge Brian Kemp, is running on school choice and attacking Brian Kemp for not supporting school choice. The problem, frankly, is not Brian Kemp. It is the white Republicans in the state legislature, particularly in the state House of Representatives. Uh, Republicans, particularly those who are married to school teachers, are deeply opposed to school choice. They are deeply opposed to letting black kids out of public schools into the rich white kids' private schools. But it's also white Democrats. It is white Democrats and teachers' unions. It is white people in general in private schools, the rich private schools, by the way, not the poor private schools. There are poor private schools out there. They tend to be smaller Christian classical education schools with all the rich people's resources. Because the kids who go to those schools are deeply committed to the mission of the school. It's a faith-based mission, and those schools are actually the ones most willing to take minority students. So they would get a good education, and they would get some, some Jesus in there too. And more and more black parents would love to send their kids even to those schools. But it is white people, particularly white Republicans in the Georgia legislature, who are opposed to school choice. The governor of the state of Georgia, Brian Kemp, supports it. But there aren't votes in the state legislature in Georgia to pass it. And this, I am told, is the case in a lot of states. In a lot of states that are Republican, it is the Republicans in the state legislature who are opposed to school choice. And it is a winning issue. 73% of black parents and 72% of Hispanic parents support school choice. Now, what is school choice? There are a variety of options for school choice. One of the easiest options for school choice is every state sends money to local schools, to local public schools. That money follows a child from public school to public school. Now, it's not all the money, but it's a good chunk of the money. So let's say it's just $5,000. Let's just say it's $5,000. Now, I realize that's not enough for private school tuition. But that $5,000, and it's really typically more than that. So let's say, okay, let's say $10,000. So it's $10,000 that follow, goes from a state to a local school per child. So every child in a school, the state sends that school $10,000. Well, one of the kids moves to a different school. The school A now has $10,000 less and school B now has $10,000 more. The idea of school choice is let that money follow the kid wherever he goes, whether it's private or public. So if the kid goes from public school A to public school B, the $10,000 moves to public school B. If he goes then to private school C, the money moves to the private school C. And if the tuition is $20,000, well, then the parents are only on the hook for the additional $10,000. And then some schools, particularly religious schools, have scholarships. So they can subsidize the poor kids coming to their school to ensure they get a good education. 
And then in Georgia, there's something called an opportunity scholarship where you and I, if you're a Georgia resident and many states have something similar, you can pour money into something called the opportunity scholarship fund. And it's a dollar for dollar credit on your taxes. And that money then goes to pay to send uh, kids of a certain income level to private schools. It's got to be uh, a low income level. It's a brilliant program. Stacey Abrams in Georgia wants to kill that program. The Republicans in Georgia are suicidal if they do not expand school choice. And again, the most frustrating part is state after state after state, not just Georgia, but state after state after state. It's the Republicans, not the Democrats, who are the chief impediment to school choice. Yes, in Georgia, they're the impediment, but it's not just Georgia. Around the nation, it is Republicans and Republican-controlled legislatures who refuse to expand school choice because they're scared of the teacher's lobby. Some states don't have powerful teacher's unions, but they have teacher lobbies, and they're scared to death of them. If the Republicans in Georgia supported school choice and allowed minority families into private schools, they would lock in their dominance in the state for decades to come because the Democrats won't be able to help themselves. The Democrats to this day are campaigning against charter schools in Georgia. They want to end charter schools in Georgia. And it's the same thing nationwide. Now, I'm speaking of Georgia because I'm here and this is what I know best, but I've had these conversations with school choice activists around the country. And time and again, they say they go to Republican legislatures where there's a Republican governor and it's the Republicans who are the obstacle to it and they don't understand. You create this as an entitlement and then you dare the Democrats to take it away from poor families. You suddenly have a massive pool of black and Hispanic voters voting Republican and the Democrats don't know what to do with it, but Republicans are inevitably too stupid to actually do it. This reminds me of the old Everett Dixon saying, uh, Everett, Everett uh, was the, Everett Dirksen, he was the Senate Republican leader for years in Washington. The sayings attributed to him, there are two parties in Washington, D.C., the stupid party and the evil party. And every once in a while, the stupid party and the evil party get together and they do something that is both stupid and evil. And the press heralds it as a bipartisan accomplishment. Republicans are very frequently the stupid party. Sometimes they're the evil party, but often they're the stupid party. Now, I don't want you to be stupid. One of the groups out there that supports school choice and advocates on that cause and uses a portion of its profits to advance uh, school choice for kids and the First Amendment rights of parents and, and the Second Amendment rights of people and the pro-life movement is Patriot Mobile. They actually give a portion of their profits to advance the conservative movement. Now, how do they get their profits? Well, they get you as a customer. And to get you as a customer, they're going to give you great discounts. You don't have to worry about the coverage. They use the same cell towers everybody else uses. So if you get great service, you can switch to them and get the same great service. If you get poor service, you can switch to them and probably get better service. Patriot Mobile, you get free activation with my name. You can call them. They're 100% U.S.-based customer service. 972-PATRIOT is the number. Tell them I sent you. Say Eric sent you. You get free activation. 972-PATRIOT. Or you can go to PatriotMobile.com slash Eric. That's PatriotMobile.com slash E-R-I-C-K. Oh, my gosh. David Gura. He is an NPR reporter. I am surprised at how many Supreme Court correspondents I admire are passing along a statement from two justices that is at best false without any context whatsoever. Uh, so NPR doubling down on misinformation. 
Hang on, I got to tweet this out. Doubling down on misinformation. In misinformation. My gosh. Wow. Uh, the, the, <laughs> what? But don't you say the election was stolen? Don't you say the election was stolen? Goodness gracious. Um, we got two sources on the record at the Supreme Court saying Nina Totenberg's story is false. Their names are Neil Gorsuch and Sonia Sotomayor. Uh, and yet NPR reporters are doubling down on this saying, well, you know, the, the original report actually says it was Chief Justice Roberts who said this. Wow. Uh, so you really think Sonia Sotomayor would lend her name to a Supreme Court statement debunking Totenberg? Um, wow. Yeah. Um, these people are broken. These are some 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 truly, truly broken people. Okay, we got to move on to other things. Have you heard about Nick Saban? No, 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 not the Georgia-Alabama game. No, no. So uh, Nick Saban signed a letter saying that uh, the the voting legislation in the Senate needs to pass. Both bills need to pass. And he wrote it. It was to Joe Manchin. Nick Saban is from West Virginia. There's a joke there about moving from West Virginia to Alabama, but I will not say it. <laughs> Nonetheless, I digress. So Caitlin Collins is reporting. Caitlin Collins, CNN's chief White House correspondent, says actually uh, Coach Saban insisted on a footnote in the letter that was left out of the publicly released letter. I would like to read for you the footnote that Coach Saban insisted on having in the letter. It was not reported by the media that this footnote was in the letter. It wasn't reported. This is the, what the footnote says. Coach Saban is not in favor of getting rid of the filibuster in the Senate. He believes this will destroy the checks and balances we must have in our democracy. The others signing this letter take no position on this aspect of Senate policies. So Coach Saban wants the legislation to pass, but is opposed to getting rid of the filibuster. Um, my goodness. My goodness. Um, wow. They didn't leave. They, they left that off. Now, this, this gets into a story. All of this plays perfectly into a story. There's a poll out. It is a international survey of about 20,000 people. Trust in government is cratering. Trust in the press has fallen even further. And when you hear things like the Saban report of the reaction to the Supreme Court, you kind of understand why. And you thought these last two years were crazy. Welcome to 2022. It's coming up and nothing makes sense still, especially in business. If you're a small business owner, good luck getting financing from a big bank right now. I can offer you a fantastic solution. If you're looking for $750,000 or more in financing for your business, First Liberty Building and Loan. Let's say you want to buy a new building or you want to refi existing debt or you want to buy a company. Basically, you see opportunity for your business to grow, but you've hit a wall with the mega banks getting financing. That's where First Liberty Building and Loan and my friends, the Frost family, come in. 
They solve small business financing problems better than anyone I've ever seen. They say yes, where big banks say no. It's that simple. Look, just do this. Spend 10 minutes with them. Call them, First Liberty Building and Loan. Say Eric sent you. In 10 minutes, you'll know if you're a good fit for their program. Go to firstlibertyga.com. That's firstlibertyga.com. They help small businesses nationwide in all 50 states. Firstlibertyga.com.